Welcome to the Aroma of Christ podcast, brothers and sisters in Christ. I am Ryan Brown, the pastor of the Fostoria Baptist Church, and the hope behind this podcast is to do nothing in any way to replace regular gathering among God's people. It is for the sake of mutual encouragement of one another through the singing and preaching ministry that we gather. But if you do happen to miss a week and want to keep up in Matthew, or if you want to re-listen to a sermon because it was particularly impactful or particularly confusing, this podcast is available to you. And so we continue on the Aroma of Christ sermons from the pulpit of Fostoria Baptist Church. Scripture reading Ephesians 1, 3-14. Paul introduces his letter to the Ephesians by first greeting them, reminding them who he is, and sending them warm, fresh greetings from the Lord. And then we read, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him, in love having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the Beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. In whom also we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. That we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. In whom also, after that ye believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. If you would, please, turn with me in your Bible to Luke chapter 10. Lord willing, we will return to Matthew chapter 24 next week. Today, we are in Luke chapter 10, verses 17 through 20. 
which is after the 70 men, or perhaps 72 men, were sent out by Jesus on what amounts to a mission trip of sorts. And they come back with excitement about the ministry that they have done. And this is then what we read in Luke 10, 17 through 20. And the 70 returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Notwithstanding, in this rejoice not, that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice, because your names are written in heaven. Father, thank you for writing our names. Thank you for placing them in the Lamb's Book of Life. Thank you for predestining us in love according to the adoption as sons. Thank you for sending your Son to redeem us and bring us to you. Thank you, Lord. And help us to rejoice on this as we close this year. And we pray, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Today is New Year's Eve. And several people will be spending today or have spent the last few weeks thinking up New Year's resolutions. Different ideas, different goals, different changes in order to make next year different than this year. If we go in and move from church to church, it might not be too surprising to see churches doing something that amounts to a New Year's Eve-like service. Putting in some vision casting saying, here's what we as a church are going to accomplish in this upcoming year. Talks perhaps about evangelism, children's ministry. Perhaps there'd be talks about planned revivals. The idea of revival meetings, as in Bible conferences, are good and okay. Really hope we never call them revivals. As soon as you plan it, it can't be a revival. That comes on God's schedule, not ours. But all of the same, there's these vision-casting ideas. These points of saying what we as a church would do to reach the community. I think, in all of our good intentions in so doing, we miss the mark. All of them are actually misguided 
because we place the focus in the wrong spot. I think we're very much tempted to think about what we do and focus in on us and our service. And I think as we close this year, we need a corrective to be reminded that our joy ought to be in God's work for us, not our work for him. That our focus must be upon him and what he does, not upon us and what we do. That we must think not what we can do for God, but think about what God has done for us. And as the 70 return with their excitement from their ministry and the trip that Jesus sent them out on, I think that's exactly the corrective Jesus provides to them. We begin in verse 17 with the disciples' joy. And the 70 returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. Here are the 70. They've been sent out by Jesus in order to proclaim the good news, to speak about Jesus and the coming of his kingdom. They were given power to heal the sick. But here they come back and they're overjoyed. They've had a very successful ministry, at least as far as they understand it. It almost seems like we should have an exclamation point at the end of their statement in verse 17. Even the demons are subject unto us in they recognize the power is not theirs but comes through Jesus they recognize though that the demons are subject unto them it's more than what they were promised and it provides them this sense of excitement and joy Certainly, you and I would be too. We go out, see lots of works of demons, people being under demonic influence, being crazy, doing their own selves harm. And yet, in the name of Jesus, they submit to us. I think we would certainly rejoice and be glad of such things occurring. And Jesus comes in and he responds to them. That's the rest of our passage in verses 18 to 20. He responds to them simply. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, 
I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Notwithstanding in this rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Jesus' first response to the disciples is not to say, you're thinking too much of the power you have. They're over here excited that the demons are subject to him, to them in his name. And he doesn't say, no, no, you're, you're getting too far ahead. You're putting the cart before the horse. No, instead, the first thing he does is intensifies the reason they have for joy. You think the demons are subject to you. You don't know the half of it. I was seeing Satan as lightning fall from heaven. You went out on your ministry. You had the opportunity to see demonic forces listen to you. But I was watching Satan fall because of what you were doing. I was watching a symbol and earnest of the final victory to come, the victory Jesus himself would see, the victory that Jesus himself would bring about with his death and resurrection. And then he keeps going. Behold, look, pay attention to this. I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. Scorpions and serpents, creatures of chaos, Creatures that symbolize spiritual powers ever since the serpent came up to Eve in the garden. Jesus says that to the disciples, he has given them the power to tread upon these serpents, these scorpions, to tread upon these demonic forces. And they don't just have some power over some demons. They have been given authority and power over all the power of the enemy. Such that Jesus can even punctuate it at the end by saying, nothing shall by any means hurt you. This is the strongest way he could have said that possible within Greek. And we talk about avoiding double negatives in English. But in the Greek language, a double negative is a form of intensifier. It's a form of emphasis. And that's exactly what is here in this passage. Nothing shall by any means whatsoever, period, full stop, hurt you. He's going to promise them persecution. He's going to promise them suffering. 
In fact, he's going to promise them suffering and then immediately say that not a hair of their head will fall to the ground. The idea behind what is being discussed is certainly something that's eternal in regard to their final salvation. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And neither principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come will by any means separate us from the love of God. But he's declared that these disciples have a tremendous power and authority that he has given to them. They have plenty of reason to rejoice in that, it would seem. The demons are subject. They can tread on serpents and scorpions. They didn't even know half the power. Yeah, verses 17 to 19 is one possible reason for joy. It stands as a contrast to the joy that Jesus recommends. His response continues in verse 20. Notwithstanding, in this rejoice not, that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Just to make sure we get the picture, Jesus continues no longer talking to the disciples, but talking to the Lord, giving his own rejoicing. And that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the Spirit and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent, and hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. All things are delivered to me of my Father, and no man knoweth who the Son is but the Father, and who the Father is. But the Son, and he to whom the Son will be. And he turned unto his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see the things that ye see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see those things which ye see, and have not seen them. And to hear those things which you hear and have not heard. Jesus rejoices in the fact that the Father has revealed. Jesus rejoices in the fact of the Father's love, Father's choice, Father's election, and the Spirit's work of revelation illumination. Notwithstanding, in this rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven.
It's an easy thing to hear, a harder thing to live by. But ultimately, when it comes to our joy and rejoicing, it doesn't matter how much we are advancing the Lord's cause. That's not ultimate. That's not supreme. That's secondary. It's not about look at all the things we can do in the name of Jesus. It's about the fact that our names are written. It's about the fact that we are accepted in the beloved. It's about the fact that through no merit of our own, we have been saved. And we have been written down for life recorded for life forevermore, to be present with the Lord. We have eternal salvation through Jesus Christ and him alone. Because by our works, we are nothing but deserving of hell. Nothing but deserving of being separated from God. Nothing but being deserving of being in fire and torment. But Christ came. We celebrate his birth this time of year. He came to be with us. He came to die for us. He came to take our sins away. He came so that our names would be recorded for life. He came so that all who would believe in him would have life. Don't count on yourself. Don't trust what you're doing. Trust what Jesus has done. Turn from your sin. Turn from yourself. And believe in Christ died and risen again. Extending salvation to all who will believe. Brothers and sisters. Our task to live in light of this passage doesn't end there. We do easily seem to focus on things we do. I worked and studied this passage. I studied it for a very long time one day, and the next day I woke up was reading about the King Josiah. He was reading about the difference in changes he put in and implemented. Realistically speaking, how there was a revival in his days. My first thought was how I would love to see that happen. How I would love to see that happen through us. And then it hit me. But that's exactly the same type of focus 
that I was studying as being wrong, as being off balance just the day before. That the rejoicing and focus isn't about what we do, but about what God has done. So why do we hold on so easily to the joy of verses 17 to 19? Why do we struggle to live out of the fact that God has declared us innocent? And that is our joy and rejoicing. When box cake mixes were first introduced on shelves, they were introduced with a simple instruction. Just add water and bake. Apparently, the average cake baker couldn't stomach those instructions because they were too simple. He didn't allow the one who was baking the cake to contribute much of anything to the final product. So people would add in milk. They'd add in eggs. They'd try to make their own little spin on it so that they were contributing to the final product. Now, boxed cake mixes no longer come with the egg substitutes and can dry condensed milk. But instead, have instructions for us to add those things as we use them. We like to contribute. We have a, a certain pride that comes through causes us to want to focus on what we do, what we might contribute, what we might add. Iron says, says, Ironside says of these disciples that they are too taken up with their own accomplishments. And could it be that we are as well? Can we stay in verses 17 to 19 with our focus and our joy because we're puffed up with spiritual pride. Because we want to contribute. A.W. Pink says, In the great majority of cases, professing Christians are too puffed up by a sense of what they suppose they are doing for God to earnestly study what God has promised to do for and in his people. So we need a corrective. We need to push out this puffed up sense. We need to push out this spiritual pride and instead reflect and earnestly study what God has promised to do. It is the gospel that reminds us that we contribute nothing. It is the gospel that reminds us that we are all dependent upon Christ. And that that doesn't change. Because God doesn't need anything from us. 
It is in him we live and move and have our being. It is from him that we receive life and breath and everything. As we close 2023 and begin 2024, the challenge for us today, the challenge for us this year is to earnestly study what God has promised to do and to earnestly drink up the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we are sinners deserving of judgment. But God in his mercy sent his son to be born of a woman, to bear the curse of God and give life through his resurrection. Here's some thoughts. One that I am particularly doing this year is to ensure that I'm spending significant time, always in a time, of being involved in a book that is saturated with the gospel. It has as its primary focus rejoicing in what God has done for us or in who God is himself. Three books that I'm looking at particularly is Charles Spurgeon's All of Grace, Milton Vincent's A Gospel Primer, and J.I. Packer's Knowing God. But ultimately, we want to visit many good books, but we want to live in the Bible. We want to earnestly study what God has promised to do. There's no better place than the scripture itself. And there are some very powerful scriptures that show us, that give us the gospel truths that we can live on our whole lives. Romans chapter 8, from beginning to end. Describing the reality of ones who are in Christ Jesus. As we've already read this morning, Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. I've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Let's rejoice again in those words. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his Grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, 
according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his will, that we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that holy spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. Father, may we live unto the praise of your glory. May we recognize what you have done for us. And may we live out of what verdict we have been given, the righteousness of Christ being upon our backs. And while we live and serve out of that, Lord, may our focus not be on as if we are contributing something that you need, but may our service be an expression of the love we have for you. May it be a, an expression of gratitude for the great gifts that you have given to us and the wonderful reality of our salvation. We thank you, Lord. And we pray in the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to Aroma for Christ, sermons from the pulpit of the Pastoria Baptist Church. Do you remember 2 Corinthians 2, 15-16? For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things?